Um, also in football, there, there's so many things that you do now that doesn't pay off for years. And that's part of the issues in society that I think football and these other sports can help with is teaching people to plant seeds. You know, things you're not always going to get an immediate payoff. And so you may do something that hurts tremendously today, yet it doesn't pay off for years. Or maybe it never even pays off for you, but it pays off for somebody else, that thing that you did. Um, and that sports, uh, that's a big part of that game is that discipline to do the difficult things um, with, the, with the idea that if you're doing the right things, they will pay off, whether that's for you or somebody else. From the studio of Rule 29, I'm your host, Justin Ahrens, and this is Design Of, a storytelling exploration featuring interviews with known and unknown extraordinary people doing extraordinary things. I'm excited to share with you the story of an inspiring friend and unassuming athlete, Rudy Niswanger. From a high school in Louisiana, he has taken life as it comes and had some amazing experiences along the way, including a career in the NFL. But playing professional football is not what defines Rudy. It's his steadfast love of his faith, family, and community, and his easygoing approach to life. Our conversation starts with me learning a thing or two about some Southern sayings. I want to focus on something that um, I found kind of humorous that you taught me, or that I heard and you had and you um, confirmed. So I always thought when someone said to you in the South, you know what I'm going to say? Yeah. What am I going to say? Uh, I think yours was, was, yours, was yours the how nice or was yours the bless your heart? Bless your heart. I thought when someone said, oh, bless your heart or bless yeah. his heart, that was a compliment, but that isn't the case. No, it's, it's definitely passive aggressive. <laughs> it's definitely passive aggressive. Okay, yeah. so what, tell me a situation someone would say it and use it appropriately. Well, like, uh, like say you were to say something like, um, all right, you and I, what, what ocean is this out here? I'm going to put you on the spot. What ocean is that? It's a Gulf of Mexico. Okay, all right. So let's say that you were to walk out there and go, um, wow, the, the Pacific Ocean is beautiful today. I would say something like, oh, bless your heart. <laughs> so you're kind of nicely saying, you're an idiot. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, okay. would, that would definitely okay. fit in there. Or, or you might get someone may say something like, well, bless her heart, but she's not very smart. Or he's uh, not good at whatever. You know, bless his heart, he tries, but man, he is not good at driving a car or whatever it is. <laughs> well, see, the reason I bring that up is because I'm, I really don't like labeling or stereotyping. Right. But I've had that said to me several times. Yeah. And then I thought, I'm like, oh, they like me. It's a compliment. But it probably wasn't. Yeah. Now, if you just get a bless you yeah. or something like that, that's different. But, you know, the, and a lot of it's the way that it's said. Yeah. You know, but I can't imagine the, the, the undertone with it is definitely, oh. What was another one? You, what was the other the one other you said? How nice. Oh, how nice. How so, nice. give me an example of that. How nice would be like, um, say you were coming to me and you were bragging about uh, how great my jump shot is. How great your jump shot is. Yeah. You know, you're just the greatest basketball player ever. I'd be like, oh, well, how nice. Mm. How nice. And one, it's probably it's either used in the terms of I don't believe you, but I'm also being passive aggressive. Right. Or just like, uh, um, I can't stand you. Stop talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a, it's 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 a very versatile phrase, right? In the South, for sure. Right. Well, you have this great um, history um, in football, and I love to talk about that. Do you do you remember the earliest time, or the first moment you played football, or realized that you dug football? Um, not necessarily. Well, so I remember being. Uh, I didn't play football until seventh grade. Didn't okay. play little league or anything. Or not little. Did league. you play other sports? College. 
Yeah, I played soccer growing up. That was okay. my favorite sport. Okay. Loved it. Um, but uh, I remember getting my jersey, you know, in seventh grade. You know, you have to go through and do all the training camp stuff and or whatever, whatever seventh grade, the equivalent of that is. And uh, getting our jersey for the first time and just being extremely excited about that. Um, and that's probably my earliest memory of really, you know, having something that, you know, was exciting about the sport mm. outside of the, the sport itself, that is. So you played your seventh grade year. What position did they put you at? Uh, I was a lineman of some position, a center guard, tackle, okay. defensive lineman, offensive lineman. Went to a small school, so you played both sides. Okay. Uh, so something like that. Nice. And so you, you obviously continued to play into high school. Yeah. And what was what was that like? Was your high school known for football? Did you have a good we team? Were, yeah, we were a small school in Louisiana. It's a 2A school. So, for example, in all of freshman through senior high, we probably had – 300 kids maybe okay all of them um, so it was a small school but uh, we won a state championship my freshman year won a state championship wow. my senior year did you play varsity uh, as a freshman I did nice. I did um, and once again on the entire high school you know varsity football team there was 55 60 people okay and so you know you'd, we had a freshman team and had a JV team and sometimes you'd play those so sometimes in a given week you might play freshman on Monday JV on Thursday and big game on Friday right, yeah, yeah. right and, and play them all just there's not that many of us yeah. um, so you got to play a lot which is good which is one of the things in any sports is the more time you get to play it and get exposed to it and make yeah. mistakes the better you can get so uh, senior year you won a state championship that's pretty fantastic so yeah. how did that work for you like what was the recruiting process you know, for one, it was so different back then. It was before, you know, now there's all these, these Nike camps and combines and kids posting videos on YouTube, and we didn't really have any of that. Um, really, the way you got noticed was going to these, these summer college football camps. Mm-hmm. You know, so LSU would have a, a week-long camp, and, you know, A&M and Arkansas, Nebraska, and A&M, whatever, whatever the school was. And that was one of the ways you got noticed. But for me, football was always a backup plan. I really enjoyed playing it. Um, I didn't necessarily have any interest in going and playing in college um, until I think it was summer, summer before my junior year. Um, I got offered a scholarship. Um, no, during my junior year, some, something like that. I got offered a scholarship. I think the first one was from Nebraska, actually, or Colorado, maybe, something like that. And that was the first time I was like, huh, maybe, maybe this is something that I could do and, and it would pay for school. And, yeah. Um, Did you I, know you, what you wanted to study in school? Not necessarily. At that time, I was, I was interested in either going pre-med or maybe into physical therapy, but something in the medical field uh, always interested me. Were um, you a good student? Um, so good is a very vague word. <laughs> but you know, I mean, again, talking about labeling, right, many people right. who don't know much about football think yeah. linemen are often like... Yeah, you know, the, so the I, unsmart ones or the dumb sure. ones, but they actually tend to be the smartest people on the field. I think so, but I'm yeah. a little biased. Yeah, I am I am too, but But no, I didn't I didn't try very hard in okay. school at least in high school until my senior year uh, when I started dating my wife, Patricia, whom you know, uh, and she inspired me to work a little harder and apply myself. And uh, so did did uh, much better then. I mean, I always had, I always was A's and B's. I mean, yeah. I never Well, how long have you been married now? Uh, we just had our 15th wedding anniversary. So for 15 plus years, she's still doing that. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, when, when she's so much better than I am, right. It, you know, I got to just to keep up. Yeah. I try to keep up. You got to push a little. Yeah. You got to keep hitting the free throws. Yeah. That's how it works. Yeah. 
All right, so <clears throat> you got some offers early on. You thought maybe this could happen. Mm -hmm. So where did you end up going to college? LSU. Now, how did you get there? Did you go to an LSU camp? I did. Um, my senior year of high school, they had just got a new coach there, Nick Saban. Uh, and the coach prior to that, um, kind of the stigma was that there wasn't much discipline. The team just kind of did what they want. And uh, Who was the coach before that? I don't remember. Um, Jerry Donato. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I was kind of, I was interested in that, a new coach. Honestly, though, I was planning on going to Florida State. Really? Being from Louisiana, Florida State had, for the last 12 years, had never been ranked anything worse than number four in the country for 12 years. They just won a national championship. And I went to a, went out to their spring game at the end of my junior year. And uh, their facilities were in terrible shape. Florida State? Right, it was right, they just, they hadn't put the money in yet. I oh, think they were just about to start an upgrade, but their stadium, apparently, I haven't been there since then, but they said it's still the same stadium from 20 years ago, supposedly. Really? But um, And who was their great coach for some reason? Bobby Bowden. Bobby Bowden. Forever. Yeah. You better play like it's nothing, nothing. You get way ahead, it doesn't mean anything anymore. Or if you're way behind, it doesn't mean anything. Play like it's nothing and nothing. We're after that ball now. We're after that ball. Let's have good team, good enthusiasm. You know, but the players had just come off a national championship. I remember just talking to the players and just getting this really arrogant vibe from them, which, and I said, that, that's nothing against, I don't even remember the guy's name. That was right. just the feeling as a 17-year-old sure. that I had. And, um, and were they and, stacked? And like, when you went to these visits, did you, were you paying attention to their team? Like, were, were you even thinking about if you could play or, I mean, did you look at that? Not necessarily. I kind of okay. felt that if I went somewhere, um, um, that I'd figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> I know that sounds crazy, but you know, in college it's different because you're, you're planning on going there expecting four to five years. Right. So whoever's playing right now is is they're not going. You know, maybe they're a junior or senior. So at most, there's two years behind them. Yeah. And so it's kind of a different situation going into a college. At least it was for me. And I wasn't a guy thinking, oh, I've got to show up here and start as a freshman. No, I was like, no. I mean, I'm, I don't know, come here from Sikkim. I need to show up here and get taught and figure out how this whole thing works and grow physically and, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and so it wasn't a concern for me, oh, can I start? Now, how big were you at that point as a senior? You know, I was about, uh, about 6'5", 6'6", 260, 270. Okay. At that point, my junior year, I was probably 240, 250, something right. like that. That seems like a pretty big high school lineman. Back then it was. I yeah. feel like now these, these kids are 350 pounds <laughs> in high school. They're huge. So you went to Florida State and then? Yeah, and then went to that and then um, um, went to a couple other camps in the summer of different schools. And then uh, about halfway through my senior football season, went ahead and committed to LSU. Uh, a lot of the guys I was playing with in high school and in the area, three or four of us, they had all committed to LSU. But and, uh, what was the tipping point? Like, was it just that or? Well, so the tipping point really was, or at least kind of the final kind of, I guess, nail in the coffin. Coach Saban came to uh, Monroe and we were at my grandmother's house. And uh, I remember him sitting there with us and we're having, and I'm having water, he's having coffee, tea, whatever. And uh, one, I respected the guy's honesty. So my dad asked him, he goes, you know. Because he seems crazy charming. Yeah, yeah. Well, I will say in recruiting, actually, he, yeah. he really is somewhat. Yeah. Um, That's what I mean, in recruiting. In recruiting, yeah. yeah. You know, he goes nuts on the sidelines and yeah. he's tough and all that. But in recruiting, he puts on a good face, particularly with parents. And, you know, and he starts going into this brand new $10 million academic center LSU's building and how, 
you know, 97% of his players graduate and just, you know, the stuff that the, the parents want to hear. Yeah. And, uh, I remember my dad asking him, you know, Coach Saban, you know, Rudy's high school games, I get to walk up and down the sideline and, and chew my tobacco and spit on the ground. I can do that at LSU games, right? And Coach Saban goes, well, Joe, absolutely not. You're not going to be able to do that here. And I just remember the time thinking, I like that. that awesome I love that your dad was trying to work the system. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of the blind side, you know, absolutely. when the little kid or the little brother sure. was trying to do that. Coach, how are you? Come in. Sean Tui. Sean. As I say, you're nice to meet you. Pleasure. Appreciate the opportunity to come in your home. This is my daughter Collins. Hi, pleasure to meet you. And you must be Leanne. That would be me, Coach Seven. Nice to meet you. Just call me Nick. This is an incredible home. The Windsor balances are a nice touch. Well, thank you. You obviously have excellent taste. Well, we appreciate quality and recognize it when we see it. Michael, let's come in here and say hello to Coach Saban. Michael, Nick Saban, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. And you must be SJ. It's me. Michael, why don't you and Nick go into the living room and talk? Can I sit down? Absolutely. We'll recruit to both of you. Right. I find him extremely handsome. Yeah, I'm right here, Leah. Yeah, I know. So, Michael, we would love to get you down to LSU for a visit. We've got a great thing going there right now. You have an opportunity to be successful as a person, as a student, and an opportunity to be a part of the next national championship team at LSU. So what do you say? Would you like to commit to a visit? Can I ask a question? Sure. My brother and I are very close, and so I'm very afraid that if he goes off to school, I might not get to see him. So... Go on. I guess I was just wondering how much access I'd have to him. Well, SJ, you would have total access to Michael, but better than that, in his first game in Tiger Stadium, we would like for you to lead the team out of the tunnel. What do you think about that? Sounds good. But then I remember Coach Saban talking to me, and he was like, Rudy, so where are you from? So I'm, I'm right here in Monroe. He goes, oh, okay, all right. So you're, you're, you're not from Florida, are you? I'm like, no. What about Nebraska? You, you from Nebraska? I was like, no, it's Coach I'm, you know, from here. Oh, okay, all right. What about Alabama? Are you, you, were you born and raised in Alabama? I'm like, no. And at this point, I'm starting to think, all right, Coach Saban, is this guy slow? Like, what does he not yeah, get? Yeah, He's here yeah. at my grandmother's house. I've said him here three times. Well, obviously, he was going somewhere. Yeah. And finally, he goes, okay, all right, here's the deal. He said, you can go to Florida State, and you can continue a program there, maybe maybe win another national championship, but really, you, you'll just be a part of the system and continue what they've already got. He said, maybe you stay in Florida, maybe you don't, maybe people remember you, maybe they don't. He said, or you can come to LSU and you can be a part of building something that your state will be proud of for decades. He said, because at the end of the day, you're not from any of those places. You may end up in one of those, but you're a Louisiana guy, born here, from here. He said, why don't you come and build something with me that you and the entire state of can be proud of and remember for decades. Which one seems like a better deal to you? I'm like, that was it. I was, <laughs> that was done. I was done. He's a closer. I was so he, he, he closed it. I was done. Oh man, you almost had me running through the wall on that one. That's amazing. He was, he, like I said, he was a good recruiter. I'm sure he still is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that you hear all kinds of stories about him, but you yeah. know, he's the winningest coach in the last 10 years. There's no, no denying he's one of the best ever. Yeah.
His palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy. There's vomit on his sweater already. Mom's spaghetti, he's nervous, but on the surface he looks calm and ready to drop bombs. But he keeps on forgetting what he wrote down. The whole crowd goes. So you go to LSU. So what's that like? You know, you said that you know he was charming recruiting. I, sure. I, I take it he may not have been as charming as a coach. You know, at, at the end of the day, he was definitely tough on us. But you know, a coach's job is to make you better than you even think you can be. You know, to push you to go somewhere and accomplish something that you want. Yeah, you don't know how to get there, hmm. and you wouldn't necessarily push yourself to do it, even if you did know how to get there. And um, and that's what he did. The, the level of discipline and focus that he required of us was tremendous. And you talk about taking a 17, 18 year old boy, as a lot of us were, mm -hmm. and by the time you're 22, 23, the things that you've learned um, is a completely different skill set in college that a lot of folks don't get. You know, it'd be noon and I'm leaving classes to go you know, to a grueling practice and workouts and meetings and study hall and all the stuff we had to do. And I'd hear students complaining about, oh, I've only got time for like a three hour nap. <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, you have no idea. But so the thing that I remember most about college and Coach Saban is that we won games. Ultimately, that's what we were there for. I got a degree uh, and I met and developed relationships with a lot of awesome people from all over the country from being a part of that program. Um, and those are the things I'm grateful for. Now, <clears throat> I always wonder, obviously he's the front man recruiting, right? So he, he valued you enough to make a personal visit, sure. which is pretty great. So let's just talk about that. You must have been a pretty good football player. Um, I, what I like to say is that I was able to fool people for a very <laughs> long time. But what is it like? What is it like when you're there? Does he talk to you as much? I mean, once you're on the team, it seems like the head coach really only tends yeah. to talk to the specialty players yeah. or if you mess up. Yeah, and so he, you know, Coach Saban is a defensive genius. So his baby is the defense. And it's pr uh, predominantly defensive backs. So he spent a lot of time with the defense, a lot of time with the defensive backs. And really as an offense, you know, we had Jimbo Fisher, you know, who went on to be head wow. coach at Florida State and yeah. A&M. And so – he really trusted Coach Fisher and just kind of let him run the offense and really, for the most part, stayed out. So, I mean, he talked to us in team meetings every now and then he might, you know, throw in something towards us. But particularly with the offensive line, you know, he, he trusted our line coach. He trusted our offensive coordinator. And, you know, you would have a once a year at the end of the season, you would have a one-on-one, -on -one, um, maybe not as a freshman, but, you know, at least my last three years I did. Where at the end of the season, I would have a one-on-one -on -one with the head coach, and he, you know, here's what I think, here's what you think, how did this go, and you mm -hmm. just kind of work out. It's just you know, kind of like a exit exit sure. meeting for the season. Sure. Um, what years were you there? So I was there from 2001 season uh, to 2005 season was my last one. All right. So were you there the year that you were on the death penalty and you were easily the best team in the country, but you couldn't celebrate? You like won 12 and 0. No, no, no. Okay. That was uh, well. I don't, we never had that while I was there. Now, while I was there, Alabama was under a, a lot of those. Okay. And uh, they had a year, 2002, where they were one of probably the best teams in the country, and they couldn't yeah. go to a bowl game. Where was your best record? We were, when we won the national, probably the national championship year, we were 13-1, 14-1. Oh, you won a national championship? Yeah, in 2003. Now, see, we've never, I've known you now for several years. We've never talked about this. You won that championship. Who did you play to win it? Oklahoma. 
Nice. 28-14 in the Sugar Bowl. Obviously oh, so you're at home. You're nice. at home. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That was fun. So did you play that game? You know, funny enough, the only game I did not play in that season is that game. The LSU Tigers storm into New Orleans, riding a seven-game winning streak. The Tigers dominated Georgia in the SEC championship game with big plays and a smash-mouth defense. Coach Nick Saban built this powerhouse around speed and a relentless bump-and-run blitzkrieg. We don't play DB like this. We don't play bump and run like this. You gotta have balance and body control. Every game played, every inch of turf battled for has led to this showdown between Oklahoma and LSU for the BCS National Championship. So I, I start that was my my sophomore season. And so I started four games that year. We had a guy hurt. I started four games, but every game I played in either special teams or um uh, or on our offense, yeah. whether it was a backup role or starting. And uh, that game, I did not play on any special teams. I, as far as I know, there wasn't an issue. But did that bum um, you out? Did you get to play? You know, it did a little bit. But like, just like I was talking about with all the other stuff, at the end of the day, the things that you remember are the positive things. Yeah. Now, it is interesting when I have conversations with people, and they'll ask me things like, uh, oh, so you played in the national championship. And I'll either typically say, well, I didn't technically play in that game, but yeah. we won, or I'll say or I'll say something like, yeah, we, we won a national championship in 2003 because technically I didn't play in that game. So I yeah, can't but, say that I played in a national championship game. Yeah, I, I hear you. I don't know. To me, I'm thinking you're on the team. You yeah. made everyone else better. You played throughout the season. Four games you I started you deserve, wins, Yeah, so. I mean, you, you deserve a ring. No, no, and I don't, I don't yeah. mean it in that way, but oh, just yeah, in yeah. terminology and, and being – and being uh, not particular, but clear in language, if someone asks, "What was it like yeah. to play in that game?" All I'd have to say is, "I don't know." I mean, I would think you're I, personally. I would think you're a lot more cool if you would have played in it. Oh, no doubt. But don't take offense no to doubt. that. Yeah, I'm not judging. Well, that's why I want to make sure people know up front so they know how uncool <laughs> I am. They need to know that. Hey, but think about it. You had right. one of the best seats in, fact, in the house. In fact, if you want to end the podcast now, we probably right, could right. just. But just think about it. You were on the sidelines. You probably had the best seat in the house. That is a fact. I mean, come on. Right. So that's amazing. Well, <clears throat> before we go to the next stage, I'd love to know uh, what was a what was a, a moment that was like a serious, like great growth moment throughout mm. fo- you know throughout college, where you just like you walked away and you, or, and even if you reflect on it now, I'd be like, wow, that really shifted me as a man or as an athlete or. Well, I, I would really want to back up. And I say it was before going to college. Hmm. So my last year of high school, either during that year or summer before, I kind of had a realization that in going off to college, I wasn't going to be around the same people that I'd always grown up with. It was going to be different people. I was going to meet new people that don't really know me at all. Did that excite you? It did. Okay. From the standpoint of I had the thought, okay, I have an opportunity here that I can I can be whoever I want. And I don't mean that from the standpoint of, okay, well, who can I pretend to be? I mean that from, I think all of us have inside of us a image of ourselves that we either think we are or an image of ourselves that we know that we should be. And maybe we're living in some lesser self, you know, mm-hmm. through what, whatever it is. And um, not doing the things that we think we should do or whatever terminology. And uh, I kind of had the thought, you know, I've got an opportunity here to, to um, be 
the person that I want to be, can be, should be, um, you know, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's, I felt like that was probably the biggest shift of that it doesn't matter who I was, what I had done, how I had thought about things, what I knew, didn't know. I've got an opportunity to be something different, be what I want to be, do what I want to do, think the way I want, learn the way that I want. Uh, and I think it was that shift in concept of not being um, weighed down by a past that, that has probably been the most transformational thing um, uh, of my life is to realize that anything that I want to do, anything that I want to be, it's, it's there to do it. You know, I remember, um, you know, as a kid, one of the things my father always said to me is there's always more room at the top. Meaning for people that are willing to do more, think more, be more, learn, grow, you know, not being stuck in a certain way, there's always opportunity for that person. But it's extremely crowded down here for anybody that just wants to do the minimum or be mediocre. And I think kind of those two things going together and and deciding who I wanted to be uh, in a new place around new people um, really kind of set the trajectory for my life and where it went. Mm, that's awesome. And that the catalyst of that was you realizing, oh, I'm going into this new phase, right? Like all these Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So conversely, uh, what is a funny, hilarious or moment that you played in college or, or yeah. with one of your coaches or players or whatever that, that if you were to just think about one thing right now, what would it be that still cracks you up or? I don't know. There was a lot. Um, there was one time uh, our sauna was in the shower with the hot rocks and uh, I remember one time a guy peeing on those in the locker room smelling like urine for a week and that was, that was exciting um, I don't know I think um, I love how we went from that beautiful story to a sure. guy peeing on hot rocks that's good well that, that's that's kind of the dichotomy of the locker room yeah right? that's true that's true yeah, yeah. that's how it works well, what about was there ever a, a, a saving story you feel comfortable sharing where oh you, so many yeah. So many good Saban stories. So one of my favorite stories about Coach Saban to tell is the year after we won the national championship. Um, well, first of all, Coach Saban was the most dedicated, the most intense, driven person I've ever known in my life. Hmm. I mean, you know, we won the national championship. You know, the game didn't probably end till midnight. If you went back to the hotel, you're not even back to the hotel till one or two in the morning. Um and uh, he had him and his coaches, he had his coaching staff up at like 8 a.m. the next morning for a meeting about recruitment strategy for the offseason. Why are the best guys the best guys? It starts, number one, with truth. Uh, you tell yourself the truth about what you're doing, how you're committed. Are you working hard? Are you preparing? Are you doing the things you need to do to be the best you can be? It starts with that. Uh, how many people are truthful with their self? about self-assessing the effort that you give, the intangibles that you play with, the toughness that you play with, knowing what to do, being responsible to do your job, right, or you make some kind of justification in your mind right, when you screw up or you don't do it right, why you didn't do it that way. But the best are the best because they tell the truth. They tell the truth about who they are, how they prepare, how they work, how they get ready to play, how they push themselves to be the best, the passion that they have to be the best, and they do it all the time. So where are you? Just ask yourself that. Where are you? 
so the next year, 2004, we kick off training camp. And training camp always starts with a, you know, you go and get your physicals done and all that, but then you have your first team meeting and the head coach speaks and kind of gives you his talk. And, um, and so he, Coach Saban starts the meeting off and, and I, I can't remember. Well, let me back up a step. So right before training camp, maybe two weeks before training camp, he had, was, he had a big lake house there in, uh, outside of Atlanta. And he was on the boat dock. He slipped on the boat dock, hit his head on the dock, fell underwater, passed out on the water. Ended up having, some, I think somebody up at the house saw him fall in, ran down from the house, dove in, got him out, you know, resuscitated him, brought him back to life, had like 60 stitches in his head. Wow. Um, which, by the way, even with 60 stitches in his head, his hair was still perfect. I don't, I don't exactly <laughs> know how that worked. He has an amazing hair helmet. Amazing, it just, yeah, yeah. amazing. Yeah. But, uh, um, you know, brought, brought him back to life, all right? So we're in this team meeting, and he starts off this thing. And we, we knew kind of about what had happened just through the grapevine. You know, it wasn't in the media or anything like that, but we had just kind of heard about it. And he starts off with me. He's like, guys, you know, a lot of y'all know what, uh, what happened a couple weeks ago at the lake house. And, um, you know, an event like that really gets you thinking. You really start thinking about what's important. It really changed the way that I uh, think about people and relationships. And, uh, you know, this year things are going to be different. And here we are thinking, I mean, we knew this just hard. And we're thinking, oh, my goodness, like, is he actually going to be nice to us? You know, we hear all these stories of, like, <laughs> Yeah, you know, has he transformed? All right, right. Yeah, Te- yeah. teams that would have a two-a-day set up, and instead of going to practice, they'd go see a movie. Yeah. We're like, maybe we'll get some of that stuff. Maybe we'll bring ice cream out there. Maybe he just won't, you know, curse at us. I don't know, yeah. something. And he's like, I just, I really, I've been transformed, and I just, you know, this year is going to be different. And uh, I'm going to be harder on y'all than I've ever been. <laughs> You're not getting away with anything. You, you know, you little jerks, y'all did this and that. That is not going to happen this year. And he just, I mean, just start, just rips us for a half hour. After we all had this, like, oh, my goodness, we're about to sing Kumbaya. It's going right, to be great. Right. He's like, no, not at all. And he does that, and it's one of those things, looking, looking back on it now, here's what I think happened. I think when he hit his head, went underwater, passed out, and he came back to life, I think it just confirmed for him something that he always knew, uh, that he is God and he can't die. <laughs> and so I, I, I think that's what happened, and that's why we saw uh, what yeah. we got that year. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Uh, All right, so you finished your career at LSU. You know, did you, did you play four years, five years? I played, I played five years. Okay. So four years with Coach Saban and then one year under Coach Miles my last year. Okay. And uh, pretty big coaching difference? Yes. You know, the things they have com- in, in combination is they're both extremely competitive. We said that we would lay it on the line every night. Things about playing like we play. This day's about dominating an opponent. This day is about being LSU. It's your time. It's a team. Offense, defense, special teams. You are responsible. You are responsible for the outcome of this game. We played dominant football tonight. Why? Because we came here to do so. It's got to be done that way from the start to the finish. To the finish. Let's go play for victory. That's what we do. Everybody up. Team on one. One, two. 
They, they push you, same thing, beyond anything that you would push yourself because they want to win. And um, uh, different personality types, the way they go about doing that, um, but both of them extremely competitive, extremely driven, um, uh, and ultimately, you know, good men. They, they knew what their job was to do there as a coach, and it's not to be your buddy. It's to make you better, you know, and, they, and that's what they do. So this time going through college, were you dating your wife at the time? We were. We started dating our senior year of high school and dated uh, uh, and got married January of our fourth year of college. So right after that, that fourth season before the fifth year. Uh, okay. When we got married. Right on. And so, did Patricia go to LSU as well? She did. Oh, nice. she, that was another big reason I decided to go to LSU because she was going to LSU. So, so hold on, let's back up. That's the real that's, reason. That's, that's, that, that's, that's, that's good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Saban did a great sell job, right. but I mean, yeah. But he really should have just walked in and said, oh, it's your girlfriend. Where's she going to school? Uh, she's going to LSU. And he said, okay, well, I'll see you there in the fall. <laughs> That's kind of what he should have said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, so you you got married your fourth year, mm-hmm. and did you have plans or hopes? Did you even think the NFL was possible? No, at that time, I really wasn't interested in it. I kind of I felt, oh, I enjoyed playing football. Hold on a second. Last what do you mean you were interested in it? I just, you know, for me... I was never a big sports fan growing up. I enjoyed playing sports. I enjoyed playing soccer. Um, I enjoyed playing football, but I wasn't that guy that was always watching ESPN or ever for that matter. Uh, and so I, it's not like I grew up with this dream of playing in the NFL. That just wasn't a big deal to me. Um, or even this dream to play football at LSU. It's just kind of like, oh, okay, well, the opportunity presented itself. Seemed like a good decision. Seemed fun. Paid for school, so let's do it. And then... Uh, at the time, uh, I was planning on going to medical school. I'd been accepted into a couple of different schools, and we were trying to determine where to go. And um, I'd just gotten married, and that's that's kind of what we planned on doing. You know, I had a good career. All right, you know, hang up the helmet, move on, do something else. And um, uh, with having a new coach there at LSU and some of my other friends that had decided to stay and play the last season, um, decided, why not? Let's play another year. So, as you said, played played my last year there at LSU, and we had a, we had a good year. And um, same thing, I was headed into medical school and then I thought, you know what, why not? Uh, you know, I, I, can, I, can't, I can always go back to medical school, but I can't go to medical school for five years and then decide to go try in the NFL, it just doesn't work right. that way. And so I thought, well, let's see what happens. Worst case scenario, I spend a few months, I get cut, meet some great people, learn some stuff, and then I go to school, yeah. no big deal. Well, how did it work back then? Were you, did you, were you invited to a combine or was, were you drafted? How does that work? So I was, I was not invited to the combine. Um, um, each school, or at least each big school, has a pro day where you do all the same stuff as the combine. A bunch of teams come in. They watch you, time you. They interview you. Um, and most of my interview questions were, well, why should we waste a draft pick on you? Because if we draft you and you don't like it and you go to med school, we've wasted a pick. So what do you say to that? What did you say to that? Uh, I mean, I, I just was honest with them. And I said, well, I don't plan on doing that. <laughs> I said, if, if, if you draft me and uh, I play and make the team and play, then that's what I'll do. I can always go back to medical school. I said, but uh, that, that's not what I want to do and not what I plan to do. Now, maybe they were used to a lot of people lying to them. I didn't have some big inspirational story about why I was going to do it. It was just, you know, I've made up my mind and this is what I'm going to do. <laughs> and so, um, but ultimately, like I said, I, you know, I ended up not getting drafted. Okay. In fact, so my, my experience getting the NFL is actually like, you know, people all know about draft picks, right? Right. But then there's several levels to get in. 
Whatever the lowest level to get in, that was me. That was Rudy's level. That was my level. Okay. So draft picks, wasn't one of those. Okay. Then right after the draft, there's college free agents where within an hour of the draft, you know, teams are calling you and you can get signed, you know, right away as a college free agent to a team. I is that, is that, is that like for like the league minimum or whatever? Or well, yeah, just an I mean, pretty much everything after probably the fourth round is league minimum, but they just might have a higher signing bonus. Got it. So back then, um, some of the college free agents that signed right after the draft might have a ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars signing bonus, something like that, which obviously is a lot of money now, but it's definitely a lot of money when you're twenty two and have. Oh money. yeah, yeah. Uh, but so there's 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 drafted, there's college free agents, and then there's what I was. So I was that guy, you know, no draft, no college free agent, but I got calls from two teams that said, hey, next weekend we have a rookie minicamp, which is just a week-long camp. It's just rookies and maybe some younger veteran players that haven't really made rosters or that sort of stuff. And uh, we want you to come. Well, great, but we're not going to sign you. We just, we just want you to come to this camp. And, uh, oh, by the way, when you get here, there's going to be a piece of paper you sign that says uh, if you get injured – that's on you. We, we want this to sound your injury. This sounds wonderful. It's, it's a great yeah. idea. So you're going to hit people all weekend, and right. if you get hurt, which is a very high likelihood, that's on you. Right. And uh, of course, you're, I was you're like, going against pro level talent. Right. Yeah. Of course, I was like, this sounds great. Yeah. How would I know? <laughs> and I had my two options were the Miami Dolphins and the Kansas City Chiefs. And the Dolphins had Coach Saban there at the time. And kind of same thought. I said, you know, I don't want to go somewhere where there's already a preconceived notion about I'm this or that or, uh, you know, plus it's Miami and it's even hotter and humid there right. than it is in Louisiana. Kansas City just had a brand new coach. Who was your coach? Uh, Herm Edwards. Okay. He played, he had a 17-year NFL career. He was a college free agent himself. The Chiefs were the oldest team in the NFL. They were trying to get younger. Um, and I just thought, that seems like a good opportunity. You know, he, he stated he wants a younger, cheaper yeah. <laughs> team. Uh, a lot of older players. You know, there were four out of the five uh, starting offensive line were Pro Bowl guys. So I was like, if there's anybody that I can learn from to get better at this oh, game, yeah. it's those guys. And uh, anyway, so they invited me to rookie minicamp. Um, uh, ended up, I played the whole camp, but this finger. Oh my gosh, what is <laughs> going on right there? So the, the ligament that connects those two fingers got tore and cut. All right, hold on. For those of you who are not witnessing what's going on right now, he just grabbed his finger and turned it 90 degrees the wrong way. Yeah. And uh, so, so at the end of that rookie minicamp, I'm thinking, all right, I'm going to pack up and fly home. You know, I mean, this is what it's done. brought me in for. And uh, I'm in the training room. Hey, can I get this finger thing looked at? And the trainer's like, uh, hold on a minute. He goes in his office, makes a phone call, comes back and goes, yeah, uh, I don't know if they're going to they've told you yet, but they're going to go ahead and sign you. Um, you know, if they weren't going to sign you, I was going to give you an ice bag, send you on your way, but I'll actually <laughs> take care of you now that they're going to sign you. And now, hold on. So that's I mean. know you. Are, are you pulling my leg? Was it really that? Like, you had One, no idea. You had no idea they were 100%. So you're now, in the, now, you're in the training thought, room. You have yeah. a finger that, can I see that again? Yeah, it's like. That is so disgusting. <laughs> and you're like, hey, take care of my finger. And I'm like, oh, by the way, we we're going to sign you. Well, no, before he did anything, he goes in his office and had a big window. I could see him in there on the phone. And I'm just thinking, this is odd. But he maybe he had to make a phone call. Right. Don't know. It was a head trainer. And, uh, and same thing, he comes back and he goes, oh, hey, they, I don't know if they told you yet, but they're going to sign you, so I can go ahead and treat you now. I mean, I was. And, I, and in fairness, I think he said, I can go ahead and treat you now. And then I followed up with, well, what would you have done if they weren't going to sign me? Why would have given you an ice bag and sent you off? Yeah. So I think he only told me that when I asked. This is the exact conversation that I love having with Rudy and what I really admire about him. 
It just feels he takes life as it comes. And then maybe a couple hours later, before I left, one of the scouts or somebody grabbed me and said, hey, hey, uh, we just got the phone with Brad, your agent. Um, you're not, we canceled your flight, you're not flying out tonight. Uh, we'll, we'll get with you tomorrow or Tuesday with your agent. We'll, you know. And of course, there's nothing to negotiate. I mean, it's just a league minimum. I mean, it's yeah. basically, there's nothing to talk Let's about. Let's talk about, you had an agent, huh? Yeah. Look at you all fancy. I mean, you, I'm assuming you had to have an agent. How does that? What yeah, is what you, is that process I guess you like? Don't really have to. How do you get an agent? Like, how did, uh, how did that work? Well, so your your senior year of college, uh, agents will start calling and um, asking you questions and telling you players they've had, and you interview them just as you would interview anybody else. Okay. And uh, you pick somebody that you think can help you. Oh, that's cool. This sounds a lot easier than I, it was on my mind. <laughs> but there you go. All right, so you sign with the Chiefs. Yeah. So, how long did you play for them? Five seasons. Okay, and did you only ever play with the Chiefs? So I was with the Chiefs five years, and I was in Detroit for about a cup of coffee. I was there about <laughs> a month in Detroit uh, at the end. So what was the NFL experience like for you? Loved it. Um, like anything else, it's, uh, it's extremely hard. Um, but the people that you meet, you know, by the time the majority of them, that the athletes and guys get to that level, they're such professionals. They're such hardworking people. Um, people from all over the world. You got guys from the, the ghettos of Miami and the mountains of West Virginia and, you know, the beaches of San Diego. And, I mean, just, just pick a place and there's people from it. You know, we had Canadians on the team. We had a Mexican citizen that was with us a year, a, a Scottish guy that played with us a year, a German guy. And so you got... People from all over, all different walks of life, every different socioeconomic status you can think of. And you're all there. And that's one thing I love about that sport is none of that matters. Doesn't matter whether you're black, white, red, yellow, green, blue, poor, rich, whatever. If you can play, that is the only thing that matters. And that's such a, I feel like there's so much that the whole rest of the world can get from that concept. Mm. Football is a true meritocracy. You know, if you can play, if, if you're here and you can help the team win, nothing else matters, you know? And uh, that doesn't mean we didn't talk about those things. We talked about every divisive issue that people aren't supposed to talk about. We talked about them all the time because you're with these people so much. You know, religion, politics, pick something. And we were deeply in discussions about it. Well, it seemed like Herm too, I've seen him speak a few times, uh, once in person, but a bunch just on like ESPN and stuff. Thank you, Coach. I'm not going to be long. I know it's hot. Uh, what I'm going to say to you, I'm saying this not as a TV analyst, not as a guy that uh, was a head coach, not as a guy that was involved in the National Football League for 30 years, but actually as a football player. Thank you, Coach. I'm not going to be long. I know it's hot. Uh, what I'm going to say to you, I'm saying this not as a TV analyst, not as a guy that uh, was a head coach, not as a guy that was involved in the National Football League for 30 years, but actually as a football player. I've always considered myself a football player before anything else. When you think about football, it's a unique game in this sense. As you get into this circle right now, it's called a huddle. It's called a huddle. And my experience in the huddle and my football career it's probably the most gratifying experience I've ever gone through in this sense. You have to appreciate the guys in the huddle, man. 
because there has to be trust in the huddle. And when 11 guys walk in that huddle, there's one thing in mind, have a positive play. Whether it's on offense, whether it's on defense, whether it's on special teams. Coaching is one thing. There's great coaches all over the country. Got great coaching staff here. But the last time I checked, man, that coach don't walk in the huddle. That coach won't make one play for you. It's you. It's on you. And this is how it works in football and in life. If you don't have enough confidence to bet on you, on you personally, don't walk in that huddle. He seemed also to be really tied in and um, concerned and have a, has a voice in like social justice and do the yeah. realities of the league. And he, he had a tremendous respect from the players. One, he played a long time. But two, he was just a good man, a good father, a good coach. Um, he didn't treat you like a child or treat you like garbage. Um, he made it very clear what he wanted you to do, and either you did it or you, or you, or you either did it or you didn't do it. Um, but he didn't belittle you. Um, like I said, he had a lot, a lot of respect in the locker room. Now, your NFL career, what was that like? Did you get to the point where you played a lot? Were you a starter? Yeah, so I was, I was a starter my third and fourth season, a full-time starter. Um, so when I got to the Chiefs, our starting center that was there had been with the Chiefs 12 seasons at that point, I think. And uh, he had not missed a single play. Not, not that, oh, he started every game. Yes, he started every game, but he hadn't missed a single offensive play in 10 years. Wow, who was it? Casey Wigman, Iowa guy. Awesome guy. Oh, Iowa. Iowa is like lineman you, yeah. too. Yeah. Awesome guy. Undersized, but probably the best body balance, control, and technique ever. Awesome guy. So I backed him up for two years, and then uh, his contract was up. They didn't sign him back. He went and played two seasons in Denver, and I started two seasons in Kansas City. Well, at the end of those two seasons, they brought him back, and he beat me out in training camp. In fairness, he was a lot better. But this guy, but he still played. I think he played. Uh, so when he was in Denver, seasons because he didn't miss a single play in Denver. Okay. And then I know that season that I was with him, he didn't miss a single play. Now I played some at guard and tackle and some yeah. other positions, but not at center. Uh, and then I think he played maybe one more season with the Chiefs. And so I think he had a streak of like 14 years or something without missing even one play. Wow. I mean, it was it, un, unbelievable. So well, when he was in Denver then, was that Super Bowl years? No, this would have been, he would have been there in 2008 and 9. Okay. And so I'm trying to think. That was one of the years they started off like 6-0, and but then failed. And Probably the Jay fire. Cutler years. because It was definitely Jay Cutler. We inherited years, him yeah. for the Bears. That was yeah. really great. I think it was Jay Cutler years and then maybe Kyle Orton, one of them. Might okay. Kyle oh, Orton. another Bear. Yeah, another Bear. So, <clears throat> I would love to know what was the greatest athlete or athletic moment that you experienced in the NFL? Because it seems like there are some unbelievable... Athletes, like, tell me one on the who was yeah. the greatest athlete you played with on the Chiefs, and who's the greatest athlete you played against? Mm. Uh, from pure athletic standpoint, um, I don't know. So that in the NFL, or just the best football player. Yeah, in, just in the NFL, yeah. it's so you know you've got a lot of guys in the NFL that are 
what I would consider just a solid SEC ball player. I mean, they're good. And then you've got these guys that are just transcendent above everybody else. Just next level. And everybody knows who that person is. You know, we we had this one offensive lineman from Texas, uh, multi-pro bowl, NFL man of the year, Brian Waters. And uh, this guy was one of the strongest humans I had ever been around. And the entire offseason, he wouldn't even sniff the inside of a weight room. I mean, this guy did nothing for months and just would show up, freak of nature, just still ripped. Just nat- just won the DNA. Just nat- yeah. just DNA. Yeah, yeah, just won the genetic lottery. Now, granted, he, when, once it got to season, he was also one of your hardest workers. But he still just, just was a genetic freak of nature. And I remember we would watch him do stuff because his technique wasn't that great. But he would just put his hands on somebody and then the person just would stop moving. And it's like, how, <laughs> so, so we, as, as weak, unathletic people, normal would try to do things. some normal of the stuff that yeah. he did and would just get destroyed. Or Jared Allen's another one of those guys. Like Jared Allen, uh, he was with the Bears for a while. I think so, yeah. 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 Um, this guy, you know, just, you saw him somewhere, you think, oh, this guy doesn't look like a great athlete. And then he would get on the field and just destroy people. Um, another, was, another was he guy, the toughest guy you played against? In one sense, the word is a defensive end, yeah. yeah. At least on, on the team in that role, um, he was extremely good. Um, i tell you one of the more impressive guys I played with was Tony Gonzalez, you know, one of the greatest tight ends to ever play the game. I mean, Tony was one of those guys, voracious learner, always reading something about whatever, you know, a million range of topics. So he and I enjoyed doing that together. But this is a guy, even when I was playing with him, you know, he's 10, 12, 11 years in. You know, um, multi-pro ball, just stud. And he's a specimen. like Oh, a physical yeah. specimen. Yeah. But he would be out there first on the field before walkthrough working on his steps and his breaks mm. before anybody. And we're in walkthrough. And even in walkthrough, he's getting his hips down and his hands in the right place and doing every little thing. And, you know, people would say, well, why does he need to do that anymore? He's done that forever. But the reason he's where he's at is because he continued to do that stuff. Um, but just talk about a lesson learned of, of to keep working and always grow, and that's what that's what that guy did, which is why he's one of the best ever. So, uh, people you played against, you played against Brady. Sure. Yes. In fact, I, we're the team that that season that he missed in like 2008 because he blew his knee out the yeah. first game. That was us. <laughs> that was us. Um, uh, but yeah, I played. So my, I guess at my favorite athletic feat was yeah. I played against Warren Sapp way late in his career when he was with the Raiders. Okay. And it was a year that he had lost a ton of weight because all he cared about was he wanted to get the sack record for defensive tackles that okay. year. So he lost a ton of weight just he wanted to rush the passer. And um, uh, in that one game, I actually pancaked Warren Sapp. <laughs> That's your one moment. That's it. It's one moment. That's great. I asked Rudy his thoughts on football being considered a violent or dangerous sport and all its impact on the college game, whether it was good, bad, or different. Just wanted to hear his thoughts. Well, so uh, like anything else, you know, nothing in life is as black and white as we like to make it out to be. Everything we do is a trade-off. Everything in life has risk involved. You know, and we as, as uh, the human race, as the human species, we are terrible at judging risk. Things that we think are really risky are not. 
the things that we think are, oh no, that's safe, very risky. I mean, we, we are bad at this, right? Um, so with that being said, um, a lot of times whatever is loudest and most in our face, we give more weight than the things that we don't hear about. I had somebody a while back say, if something is in the news, just by nature that it's in the news, you shouldn't worry about it. Because if it's in the news, it's unusual. It is an outlier. It, you know, that, that's the stuff that doesn't happen all the time. The things you need to worry about is, is heart disease and car accidents and, and things that are just commonplace every day. You know, addiction and poor relationships and bad community. Those are the things to worry about, you know. But anyway, I say all that to say, I think the sport of football falls into that category. There's some things about it that um, are not good. Sure. My experience with it and the, the people that um, I think the by and large the experience of the collective that I was around is just a very positive thing. I mean, there are still uh, character qualities and traits and lessons that I learned through sports. Um, particularly, let me classify, there's a lot of sports. But I think that any sport that is team-oriented and has a head-to-head -head combative component to it, whether that's uh, you know, like, a, like a wrestling or a boxing or to where, there's some sports where you're really competing against yourself uh, take 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 uh, wrestling or boxing. You I mean yeah, 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 or, or, yeah. Or, or rowing or even golf. Yeah, I'm competing against you, but really I'm competing my score against your score, which is not the same as two individuals competing against each other. Gotcha. There are some lessons learned in that competitive, competitive, almost combat um, environment, and then when you wrap the team thing on top of it, which some of those other ones I mentioned don't have, the things that you can learn about being a better person about uh, going to dark places in your life from the standpoint of that. You know, most of the good things in life, the things that you really want, you have to go into some sort of dark place or do something that you wouldn't want to do in order to get it. And I don't mean from that you wouldn't want to do from a moral standpoint, I just mean things that are hard. Mm -hmm. You know, people don't just show up and, on a football on Sunday and play a game. You know, 97% of my time as a professional athlete was spent training and practicing. What, what other job out there, like if I was to take my employees now and 97% of their time is training and they only actually work 3%, 3 yeah. you wouldn't do that. But that's what that world is. Mm -hmm. And so you learn so many valuable lessons that I don't think you get in other areas of life. Um, from the game and so I still think that the game is a tremendous overall positive uh, even though there's a lot of issues you know take alcohol do a lot of people abuse alcohol is there a lot of negatives associated with alcohol absolutely but throughout the vast majority of human history alcohol has had a very positive influence uh, you know scripture talks about wine being given to you for gladness of heart there is a there is a purpose for this thing that it is here um, and so you can take anything, driving cars. How many people die in car accidents all the time? It's, it's bad. But that doesn't mean we stop doing it because the overall, the net positive is still there. And I, I would say the same thing about athletics. The other thing I would say, coming from the college standpoint, um, I, this is not, not an appropriate term, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, in, in football at LSU, we talked about there was, there was the sports that made money, and then there was the welfare sports. <laughs> Meaning that, you know, the, the other sports that didn't make any money and the way they got their budget taken care of, their scholarships paid for, was because of football, 
or maybe another sport, maybe baseball or softball or that's basketball. Bo- that's or both men and women's sports. Men and women. You know, at LSU, while I was there, three sports made money. No, yeah, three, three sports made money. Women's basketball, football, and baseball. Everything else lost money. And so the reason the school could afford these other sports, particularly when I was at LSU, there was only four male sports. There was nine female sports. Because of Title IX, the way they consider equality as scholarships, um, there was always way more female sports. And they, the majority of them, other than women's basketball, were paid for by these other sports that made money. Hmm. And so we'll say, oh, that's ridiculous you have that. Well, then there's a trade-off. Do we want to not fund these other sports? And now, I don't know, you know, that was 15, 20 years ago. I don't know how it works now. Yeah. But at the time, um, I would say that, that it's not like that money is just being set on fire. It's being used for a lot of positive things. So Rudy now, uh, um, ex-NFL player or past NFL player, what's, what's your life look like now? What do you do now? Coach. All day, every day. Not football, not a sport. But whether it's my own little home basketball team you mentioned mm-hmm. with Patricia and the kids, you know, I believe that it is, uh, um, that it is my role to be a leader in our home first. And what I mean by that, when I define leader, you know, there's such a, uh, a negative stigma with headship or, or male leadership. People want to go into terms about the patriarchy and think what, whatever other terms that people want to use. But what I mean by leader in my home is someone that leads in service. Someone that leads in love, someone that leads in making the tough decisions, someone that leads by sacrificing first. I am, I am the first to sacrifice in my family. And that's what I mean by leading my family, coaching, training, influencing. I talked earlier about a coach's job is to help someone get somewhere that they know they want to go, but they don't know how to get there. And that's the same thing with your kids and with your, with your wife. And so that's at home. And then at work. Uh, with with uh, my companies and, and, and co-workers and employees and customers, it, it's the same thing. It's coaching people. It's inspiring people. It's um, holding to a high standard. It's, it's not accepting mediocrity because ultimately there's no satisfaction for anyone in mediocrity. If they think they're satisfied in that, they just haven't woke up yet. And so, you know, one of the things that, that my, my biggest goal for my companies is that everybody that comes in contact with us, their lives are better off because of it. Mm-hmm. That's ultimately when I look back that I'm 70, 80, 90 years old, looking back, that's what I want to have accomplished. That my, my customers, my employees, our vendors, that they, their lives are better off in some capacity from having been involved with us. And, um, and so to do that, because I don't do a lot of the things hand on, it's coaching and inspiring and training and helping and leading and sacrifice, leading in tough decisions, all these things uh, with that end in mind. And so, like I said, whether it's home, whether it's at work, what do I do? I, I coach. It's awesome. So <clears throat> how did football prepare you for that? You know, one, you saw a lot of good coaches, saw a lot of bad coaches. Uh, so you see that, but I think that sometimes, you know, in, in, in life, people just tend to say, well, here's what I want you to do. Go figure it out. And that's, that, that's not, that's not that world. You know, one, you do have people there that do care about you. And I had some wonderful coaches that cared about me as a person, cared about me as a man, as a player. And sometimes they would sacrifice the, uh, immediacy of something to help me become a better man long term uh, which was good 
Um, also in football, there, there's so many things that you do now that doesn't pay off for years. And that's part of the issues in society that I think football and these other sports can help with is teaching people to plant seeds. You know, things you're not always going to get an immediate payoff. And so you may do something that hurts tremendously today, yet it doesn't pay off for years. Or maybe it never even pays off for you, but it pays off for somebody else, that thing that you did. Um, and that sports, uh, that's a big part of that game is that discipline to do the difficult things um, with, the, with the idea that if you're doing the right things, they will pay off, whether that's for you or somebody else. Awesome. Well, hey, thanks for being on the show. I just want to close with something you just told me the other day. So this was a big year for you football-wise. Absolutely. Now yeah. tell me, tell everyone why. Uh, high school team won state championship. LSU won the national championship. And the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. I mean, this is this is your year, dude. It's absolutely. 2020 is definitely. I mean, and, and, and then following that, I'm on this podcast. So I don't know what I, could well, get better. Goodness. Yeah. What could get better. I mean, 2020 may be the best year ever. Absolutely. absolutely. Thanks, brother. Thank you for having me. We recorded this episode in February at a conference in Mexico right before the world shut down. And since 2020 has not turned out the way any of us imagined it, both then and now, I think what Rudy says about planting seeds and doing the difficult things and how they will have impact on you, your loved ones, and your community, both now and in the future, couldn't be more relevant. Thanks, Rudy, for not only being a great player and a wonderful guest, but for being someone all of us can look up to both literally and figuratively. I'm grateful for our friendship. Go Tigers! I would also like to thank Sleeping At Last for providing our show's soundtrack. For more on Ryan and his music, please go to sleepingatlast.com or search for Sleeping At Last wherever you get your music from. And to Design Of's audio engineer, Steve Wick, who was pumped for this episode just so he could look up his favorite pep talk. It ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did making it. If so, please give us a ranking on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. Tell others about our show and stay tuned for the next episode. Please follow us on Twitter at Design of Podcast and check out our site at rule29.com forward slash design of podcast. See you next episode. <laughs>